Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In this week's lesson from the Book of Romans, Ryan Wood, who serves as a chaplain with the United States Army, continues our study in the biblical teaching of sanctification, as he helps us to understand the beautiful freedom that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and join us as we continue to see how God's righteousness for the unrighteous is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning, gentlemen, and the rest of you, right? Yeah. You know how this is going to go now this morning. It's good to be with, here with you again. Uh, let, me just, let me just testify for a moment if I can do that. This breakfast... And this group of guys has meant a lot to me over the last several months since I moved to the Williamsburg area. So I just want to say thank you to all of you for the encouragement, the smiling faces, the handshakes, seeing you on Sunday mornings at church, seeing you here this morning as you stuff your face. Uh, it's, it's just a, been a great part and a highlight of my time here. It goes both ways. Thank you. But it reminds me of how good God is. Amen. That no matter where we are in life, no matter where we show up, no matter what our schedule or timetables in life, how it ends up, the routes that, it, that we end up on, somehow he always puts us right where he wants us. And he surrounds us with people to help us along the way. And uh, you all are instruments of God's grace to me, my family, your families to my family, uh, the chapel, an instrument of God's grace to Claire, myself, and my kids, three of them. And... Uh, three of them, and uh, it's just been a blessing, and I'm thankful to be here with you. I'm also thankful that Hunter and Dale assigned me a much better topic this time than last time, because last time I got to stand up here and tell you, according to Romans, just how bad you are, especially if you think you're really good. And I know. I wasn't going to call names yet, but, uh, but yeah, so this is a good topic because I'm going to remind you in this topic that you really are as bad as Romans said you are, but through Jesus Christ, that's okay. And uh, I'm excited about today. So this week, and I'm hoping my wife didn't watch this because she'll get upset with me, but this week, the guy that was preparing to talk to you was having a great week. He was rolling along, working on his notes feeling all holy, feeling all righteous, like I'm in tune with God and what's going on, and all of a sudden I spout off to my wife in the car a couple nights ago and said something that I wish I could retract over and over and over again. And after I said it, this wave came over me. Like who in the world do you think you are that you can stand up in front of a, a group of men like this and speak in a couple mornings? When you're sitting here with the person that God gave you, and you don't have the decency and the wisdom, the kindness to say nice things. Have you ever had stuff like that wash over you? When you've done something that you knew you shouldn't do, or when you were living out what Dale talked about last week in Romans 7, the things I know to do, I don't do those. And the things I know I shouldn't be doing, those are the ones that my feet run to. And when you get to that point, it just, it just hits you upside the head. That's, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's that conscience that God, God has given each of us as he made us in his image, that thing that guides us. But we often feel that. We feel that we're not good enough. We feel like there's no way that God can love us. We feel like we're not worthy. 
But oftentimes that just, and it washed over me this week. And I find myself constantly coming back to one scripture in the book of Romans when that feeling hits me. And it's this passage we're going to talk about today. So if you're sitting in here dealing with guilt, if you're walking around with shame from your past, and that stuff can follow us around a long time, right? Sometimes age doesn't do anything to the guilt and the shame that we carry around. Amen? That's a good amen. All right. You're with me today. But we walk around with that. And if that's you today, I want you to turn your ears on and listen and hear what God says. Let's turn to Romans 8 this morning. We're going to start in Romans 8 and read a few verses together as we talk about freedom in Christ. And what just a great phrase, freedom in Christ. I'll remind you that our theme is all about whose righteousness for us? God's, right? Not my own righteousness, because my righteousness is as filthy rags that I can never do good enough for God to make it right with Him, but He imputes Christ's righteousness to me. He gives it to me uh, when I place my faith in Him. So God's righteousness for the unrighteous is revealed in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Romans 8 together. And I'm going to read to you. You can follow along on the screen. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh." that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those of us who live according to the flesh, or those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by which or by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about a war the last couple of weeks, and it's not a war between Ukraine and Russia. 
It's a war that occurs inside each of us. It's that war between the two things, the two entities that the Apostle Paul calls the flesh or carnality or the word carnal, and then the spirit, the spirit that God has placed inside of us. And we see that that wages back and forth, that sometimes one seems to win over the other. And if you've lived life more than a day or two, you've lived that reality, that there's this battle inside of you. When you come to know Christ, as many of you have, when you come to follow him, you realize that suddenly something, a light has like, it's just lit in your life, and I know what it is to follow Christ, but then I'm really cognizant of what it is to be in the flesh. There's this awareness that happens. And as I said earlier, Paul talks about this awareness all through the last chapter of Romans that we covered last week, Romans chapter 7. The things he doesn't want to do, he finds himself doing those. The things he knows that are right, he's not doing those for some reason. Now, you can imagine just the consternation that it would, it would, that would bring to an individual, right? Right? Amen. Yeah. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. For the Apostle Paul, that was a reality of his life. Now, one, that's an encouragement to me. As I look back and I see somebody that wrote half the New Testament, that guess what? There's a struggle still going on in that individual. That individual who used to be Saul of Tarsus but met Jesus on the road to Damascus and, and Christ changed his name, he changed his direction, he changed his future, he changed his mission, he totally and completely made this individual into what 2 Corinthians calls a new creation and suddenly one who was a murderer, who was consenting to the murder of Stephen, holding the, the cloaks of the Pharisees who stoned him, who was on his way to kill Christians in Damascus, suddenly this individual is now one who preaches the gospel of peace, the gospel of life, the gospel of hope, and says that lives can be changed by faith in Jesus Christ. But here's an individual who still finds himself in the midst of a struggle. I find encouragement in that for myself. You know what it tells me? Ryan, you're not perfect, and guess what? That's okay. And so I want to give everybody that, that freedom for a moment, that, that the first freedom that I, that I see in this passage, in this, this cluster in the middle of Romans, is that guess what? We are human. Humans have this flesh. We have this spirit that there's a struggle going on. And the important thing is not that you're perfect, but the important thing is that you are struggling. That the struggle is good because that implies a fight, right? In the moment you quit struggling, that you've given up, well, that's not so good, right? Amen, right? So hopefully today you're struggling in a positive way. You've probably never heard a preacher say he hopes you continue to struggle. Amen? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I said, so you can write that down. No, no. But the mindset is like Paul has. It's the reality that I recognize in myself that there's this war going on, but that I'm going to continue to walk in the way that I know is right. I'm going to continue to look for the outlets that God gives me. And he comes to the end of Romans 7 and 7.24, and he says just this incredible phrase. Oh, wretched man that I am. Now, some of you woke up and looked in the mirror, and that might have been the phrase that you said to yourself this morning. That wasn't that funny, was it? <laughs> it wasn't. But look at this. As he examined his life, and he took kind of just, just the status of who he was and what he was going through and what he had done and where he stood now that I've, I've been exposed to this, this love of God through Jesus Christ. And I'm looking at this fight between the flesh and the spirit. 
and I find myself in that struggle, that's a huge realization. And I wonder if you've ever gotten to that point where you've looked at yourself in the mirror, you've kind of taken stock of your life, and you've realized, oh, wretched man that I am. I did earlier this week after the incident I told you about. I'm sitting there. I'm still groveling. I'm still hurting inside. I'm still looking at myself going, Ryan, you're not just an idiot, but you're pretty wretched. That was, that's awful. But a wretched man that I am. Now, I believe that before you can understand the rest of Romans, and before you can truly grasp what he gets to in 8 when he starts to talk about the love of God and how nothing can separate from you, in order to completely understand grace, you have to get to the point where you understand how much you just do not deserve it and how lousy, miserable, rotten that I am. Because that's who we are. Oh, wretched men that we are. You didn't think you'd come to men's breakfast and hear this, did you? <laughs> Y'all are bad. So am I. So how can I be free when there's a battle raging in me? And here's where we get to the thing. And I could stay on the first part of Romans 8, the first verse, all day long. I could talk about it probably for the rest of my life because it's amazing. Oh, got to keep clicking. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the first thing I see that Paul does here, a wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? Paul turns to the one place, the one person, the one individual that offers the freedom from the bondage, freedom from the control, freedom from that direction that sin gives to humanity, and that person is Jesus Christ. Amen. The declaration of freedom here. Now, I want you to notice some things about this. We're just going to talk about it a little bit. I'm going to walk through it a little bit. If you have questions along the way, raise your hand. Okay, if you come from a hand-raising church, raise your hand the whole time. Wave a little bit, I'll know who you are, okay? That's fine too. But uh, I just want us to walk through this together because there's some amazing things that is, that, that is said in this passage. So we have this declaration of freedom. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now, I learned something amazing in three years of Greek in seminary. I learned that when the Bible says no, you know what it really means? It really means no. My professors would be so proud of me now. They're like, how did we even let him out of here with a degree? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And the Greek word here is a word that is an emphatic negative. It's like saying there is no, 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 no. And it's something that I need to hear, something that humans need to hear, something that Paul needed to hear and to tell himself. And obviously the, the Christians in Rome needed to hear. To those that feel like they are in bondage to sin, under the thumb of sin, to those who feel like they can't go a day without a bad thought or a bad word or a, a bad choice, guess what? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So emphatically, Paul is telling those who would listen, even today, that if you're struggling, if you're this wretched individual just like he was, that if you are in Christ, and we'll unpack that in a minute, First of all, there's no condemnation. condemnation. God's not mad at you. There's no condemnation in the present because he emphasizes when. There is now, now, in the moment, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And he qualifies it by two different things. First of all, it says those who are in Christ. 
which means those who have placed their trust in Him, who have turned to Him in faith and called Him Lord and Savior, who have bowed their knee in confession and in penance and said, God, I'm a sinner, save me. A simple thing like that, that means that you're in Christ. That places you in Christ. So one of the qualifiers for this no condemnation is that I've given my heart, my life, my totality of my being over to Him. And the second qualifier is if we live and if we walk in the Holy Spirit and not in the flesh carnality. If we're choosing in that war, the Spirit over choosing the flesh. If I'm following after the things of God, things like coming to men's breakfast on Fridays, amen, rather than making other choices that, that, that feed the flesh. So let's talk a little bit about condemnation. When you think of the word condemnation, what do you think of? Somebody from this side of the room. What do you think of? Penalty? Death penalty? What do we think of from this side of the room? I'm, Stink. You stink, okay. You think of guilt, right? I definitely... Punishment. Punishment, I absolutely. I think of all these things. When I think of condemnation, I think of, of somebody that has authority over me wagging the finger at me, you know, telling me I was wrong, I was bad, and here's what I can expect because of that. I think of guilt and punishment. But what does Jesus say about condemnation? Because the world wants to say that Christians are always condemning or maybe that Christ condemns, or Scripture is always condemning sinners. What does Jesus say about it? You know the most popular verse in the New Testament, John 3.16? What does it say? I'm not condemning you if you didn't quote it right, okay? Okay, yeah. Does anybody keep reading beyond 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But does anybody keep reading what Jesus said in 3.17? For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. God's intention was not to come condemn the world with Jesus, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. I'm also reminded by a story about Jesus in John chapter 8. He encounters a woman caught in the act of adultery. and They drag her, the Pharisees do, out into the street, and they're all gathering their stones to, to kill her because that's what the law said. It said you must kill people for the act of adultery. We're not going to even wonder where the guy was, okay? But apparently they had just grabbed the woman, drug her out there. Jesus encounters them. What happens? Does she get stoned that day? No, because Jesus starts to scratch in the thing and the Pharisees start to drop their rocks and all of a sudden he's left there in the midst of this with a woman who was guilty a woman who had been caught in the act. She was not innocent. This, this was not just hearsay. This was somebody who was absolutely guilty according to the law. And you know what Jesus said to her? He said, where are your accusers? I don't see them. They've all left. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So Jesus' message throughout the New Testament. God's message to you and I is He is not standing up on a throne or sitting on a throne somewhere, wagging the finger at you saying, Ryan, you dirty, rotten individual, I can't believe you did that. His message to humanity is, I'm sending my son so that you're not condemned, but you have a way that sin can be broken in your life and you can live with freedom in me. 
Jesus' message, the New Testament's message, Paul's message to Romans here is, for you and I, there is no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. So where does the condemnation come from? Where does it come from? It can come from the world. It can come from other people. Sometimes it comes in the church from other people, right? And, and we feel hurt and pain. It can come from ourselves. That. We could stay there all day because I think my worst accuser is Ryan. I think the person hardest on myself, the most condemning is me. Quick to kick myself when I'm down. Quick to pile on. Quick to have that thought that never going to be good enough, never going to make it, never going to get out of this. Quick to just see how awful I am and continue to say, oh, wretched man that I am, without saying thanks to God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Now there's no condemnation. But you also have, according to Scripture, an enemy of your soul out there. Revelation calls him the accuser of the brethren, somebody who is quick to slap labels on those who mess up, who stumble in their walk, who seem to be caught up sometimes in habitual sins. The accuser of your soul is quick to place labels on you and make you feel less than and unworthy. But here Paul tells us, to those that are in Christ, guess what? There is absolutely, positively, no condemnation. That's something to get excited about this morning, right? That's something that I'm not, I'm not telling you to go get a tattoo. But if you were, <laughs> and you needed one to remind you of something that God's done for you, this would be a great one, Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And whenever you begin to grasp that and speak that to yourself and remind yourself of that, and when your self-talk becomes, God doesn't condemn me, I shouldn't condemn myself, Romans 8.1 tells me so, versus, Ryan, you're awful, no good, dirty, rotten scoundrel. Your self-talk changes, your outlook changes for life. And the way you walk through life changes. And suddenly you're not just offering yourself grace, but grace becomes easier to offer to others as well the declaration of freedom we see there in Paul. As we continue, yeah. I knew you needed a map. I modified our map a little bit. So Paul in Corinth, writing to Romans, telling those who feel condemnation, where do they look back to? They look back to Jesus on the cross, Okay. Now, why would he tell them that? Let's continue reading. Verse 2, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what we see here is not that just that you're free with no condemnation just because, just because, but there was actually an act of God in His Son Jesus Christ that brought that about for you and I. So the law has made me free, and notice that's past tense, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, now, just a note, and we've said this before, we said it last week, he's not saying the law is a bad thing because we know in other places the law is good and holy. He'll say again in Galatians that it's a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. 
But what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, meaning that if you and I enacted every part and participle of the law, if we lived it out completely just the way it's written, guess what? We would still fall far short of the glory of God and God's righteousness. But what it could not do that it was weak through the flesh, God did. Now, I just want to emphasize that for a moment. I even made that bold in my notes. God did. I want you to think about this. God working on our behalf. God, when we are living in the condemnation of sin. God, when we are guilty beyond all reasonable doubt. God did something for you and I. An act of grace here. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's the story of the incarnation. We just celebrated at Christmas. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He says in another place in 2 Corinthians 5, he says that he made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. God did that for you and I, and in so doing, he condemned sin in us. So there's no condemnation in you or I. Not because of the work that we did, amen? but because of the work God did through Jesus Christ. That's one of the things I want you to understand for this. This is something that God did for us. And if you're a Bible underliner, those two words God did, that's a great one to highlight or underline. Now, I said it one way, but there's somebody who said it even better. Charles Spurgeon says this, The law could not condemn sin so truly and so thoroughly as God did, when he condemned sin in the person of Christ. O believer, let not thy sins grieve thee, however great or however tremendous they may have been. Weep over them, but do not be distressed about them, for they have been condemned in Christ Jesus. They may have been enormous, but if thou art in him, Christ was punished for thee, and God's justice ask not for a second punishment for one offense." Christ offered once a complete atonement for all believers. And if I am a believer in him, there is no possible fear of my ever being condemned. There cannot be, for Christ was condemned for me. My sins were laid upon his head. And in the awful moment when he sustained the stroke of his father's vengeance, those sins ceased to be. And there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I maybe should have just read that quote and sat down. That's powerful. All placed on Christ. At the moment of his death on the cross, those sins were forgiven, eradicated, cast as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. God's not mad at you. And as some rapper once said, he's got nothing but love for you. (laughs) But that's the truth. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's continue with this, because that was the declaration of his freedom and our freedom. The second thing we see here is the reality of the freedom. Look at verse 5, and we're going to talk loosely about verses 5 through 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Why? Because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And what an incredible thing that Paul starts to say here. And it leads me to this question. 
Am I aware of the things of the flesh in my life versus the things of the Spirit? Have I given thought and taken the time to really break down? Where am I living in the flesh? What choices am I making are choices that are carnal versus how is the Spirit ruling and reigning and running my life? And I think a lot of times we, we need to ask ourselves those questions. Sometimes some of us more than others, I'm pointing to myself there, but asking myself over and over and over again, how am I living? How am I walking? Am I someone who living according to the flesh or I'm someone that's living according to the Spirit? And how would I find that out? Now, I think if you take the totality of Paul's writings, you would, you would find out quickly if you turn to Galatians that there's some easy indicators of you and I if we're living in the flesh or if we're living in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit, he would say in Galatians 5.22, you're going to have a result of that. What does he say is the result of living in the Spirit? You have the what? Yeah, you have the fruit of the Spirit, okay? And it's not apples and bananas. It's love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, self-control, and I left one out. Faithfulness, thank you. I, always, I don't know why I leave faithfulness out all the time. <laughs> i got to work on my Bible memorization better. But if you're living in the Spirit, things naturally follow. There's naturally going to be something that, that grows in your life. Not something you're having to, to work hard to produce. It just appears because of God's work through you. The Spirit's work in you. These things follow. And it's easy to see what the works or the fruit of the flesh would be. It would be the absolute opposite. It would be like Ryan in the car the other night. That was not a fruit of the Spirit, not something I, I'm proud of. But the fruit of the Spirit follows. And you might be sitting here asking yourself, well, Ryan, I don't even know if the Spirit is at work in my life. I don't even know if I, if I have the Spirit. I don't, even, I don't even understand what it means to be in the Spirit or in Christ here. Paul would write this in Ephesians 1. Listen to what he says to, to believers in the church. In him, in, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You have the Spirit upon your confession of faith. You are sealed with the Spirit. You're set apart with the Spirit. The Spirit now lives and dwells in you, so it's not a matter of if you have the Spirit or not. It's a matter of am I listening or giving an opportunity for the Spirit to lead my life? So he says here to walk in the Spirit. What does it mean for you and I to walk in the Spirit? Now, the first thing he mentions as he talks about this is one part of our life, and that's our minds. Our minds. And I would tell you to think about that minds think about that. It's kind of punny if you think about it even more for a moment. I need to give you all a few more seconds, right? It's a little early. Sometimes my humor is poor. But he talks about the mind first here. When he says, set your mind on things above or set your mind on these things. We find that in Romans 7, he's already introduced us to the, to the mind. He talks about delighting in the law of God according to the inward man or according to his mind. His mind and his spirit agree with, the, with what the law is. He talks about the law of his flesh versus the law of his mind in chapter 7. So we're already introduced to that in Paul's thought here. But setting your mind, he would also reference it in several other places. In Colossians 3.2, he would tell the, that church to set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. 
a very clear way of what it would mean to live in the flesh versus living in the Spirit. To set your mind on things above would be to live in the Spirit. To set your mind on on the things that are good. The things that he would mention in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. To think on these things, anything is good, noteworthy, praiseworthy. If anything is, is, is pure, is holy, meditate on these type of things. And there's an implication that he gives us here that you and I have the choice upon which we set our minds. Those things upon which we set our minds. You have the choice every day. Do I, do I look to Christ? Do I think about good thoughts, Christian thoughts, thoughts in Scripture? Or do I think about the flesh more than often? Because we see here that there's a reality because behavior always follows nature. It follows the nature. If we're carnal and set our things on, on the, the uh, flesh, we're going to find the things that follow in the Scripture are death, enmity against God. We find ourselves not subject to our law and unpleasing to God. And nobody wants that, right? Nobody wants to live that kind of life where you know you're at odds with your Creator. But if you follow the Spirit and if you walk in the Spirit, you find life and peace. That sounds good today, amen? You found the opposite of these carnal results. Suddenly you have connection with your Creator. You have a relationship there. You're pleasing to God and you fall under His Lordship. Your behavior follows the nature. So I want to challenge us all today to look for the things of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit today. The final thing is I'm running out of time. I want to talk about the responsibility for a moment of freedom. Romans 8, 12 through 17. He begins in 12 by saying, therefore, because of all these things I've just talked about, you not being under condemnation anymore because of Christ's sacrifice, living in the Spirit rather than living in the flesh, therefore, because of all this, you and I are a particular thing. The word he uses here is debtors. Now, John and I were talking this morning already about our next iteration, hopefully, with God's uh, help of financial peace. Being a debtor is something that we want to help people get out of, except in this sense. Amen? We are debtors. What? We're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So we're not a debtor to the flesh. We're not a debtor to sin. We're not a debtor to these these other carnal things, but we owe everything in our lives to God. We are recipients of His grace on a daily basis, amen? We're recipients of a life everlasting in Him that's kept by God. We are recipients of peace that passes understanding, a peace that the world doesn't give, but a peace that only Jesus Christ gives. We're recipients of deliverance from bondage, The shattering of sin's power over us, it's been broken. That's what this passage and what Romans is, this middle part of Romans is all about today, sanctification. Sin's power has been broken in your life so that you can live a holy life in freedom. You've been delivered. We owe these things to God. Therefore, we're obligated to live according to the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. And here's one of the beautiful things here, and he he develops this a little more through the rest of Romans 8. 
But verses 14 and 15 introduces us to another concept of obligation. You and I are obligated to live as sons. What an incredible thought. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. The sons of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was born, I was not a son of God. And through much of my life, I was not a son of God until I bowed my knee and opened my heart and said, Lord, save me. And in that moment, suddenly, according to Romans, there was a spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption entered my life and allowed me to call God for the first time, Father, Father. You know, there's some mistaken theology out there that would say everybody in the world is God's children. Everybody in the world is created in the image of God. That part's true. But only those who have called Christ Lord receive the spirit of adoption where they are now the sons of God. We've received the Holy Spirit of adoption. Now this is similar language back to John chapter 1 to where the writer of that gospel would say, to as many as received him in one twelve, to them he gave the right, the authority to become the children of God to those who received him. What a powerful picture. And I don't know, we all come from various backgrounds and various places. We all have various memories of fathers in our lives, whether they were present, absent, wish they were absent, wish they were more. Whatever the makeup is of your family tree, I don't even even want to... We can talk about it later, okay? But here you have this good, perfect, loving father that's coming down to a sinful humanity is willing to offer reception into a family that we don't deserve, but that He wants us to be a part of. He chooses you today. He chooses you tomorrow. He chose you back in the past when you were living in your sins. He sent His Son so that you could be part of this family, to be adopted and be able to call Him Father, Father. You see, that was His original intent in creation, to live in harmony with you and I, And sin broke that. But through Jesus, he gives us that back. So I want us to think about as we leave this. I'm going to just leave those up there. I want you to think wherever you are. And however you've come in here today. Whatever you've carried. Whatever you continue to carry the bags that you have lugged around for X number of years, and you can fill in the blank there, the things that brought guilt and still do to this day, the things that if you had to go back and live it over, you could do differently. I want to ask today if you're willing just to let that go for a moment or let that go for the rest of your life and to live in the reality of what this passage says. That there is therefore now no condemnation to those who live in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I don't want you to leave here today feeling overburdened or overwhelmed by sin, sin in your past. I don't want you to feel unable to overcome sin in your present. I don't want you to feel daunted about what lies in the future those things which you're afraid may come back to haunt you. But I want you to walk out here with the reality of what Paul is writing to Christians. 
you don't have to live that way anymore. Christ defeated sin. He crushed its head. It bruised his heel. It took him to a cross, but he absolutely crushed its head. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on the Williamsburg Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash mensbreakfast. I hope you'll join us again for our next installment in our study of the Book of Romans. Until then, know that you have been set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless and have a great week.